You're listening to a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We rely on the financial support of listeners like yourself to keep going. If you'd like to support diverse voices on your radio, go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Stay tuned to hear the rest of your 3CR podcast. Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death construction In the fields of bodies burning As the war machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week, Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national, international events. Listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcasting live uh, by the Community Radio Network, by the studios of 3CR in Melbourne. Once again, I'm broadcasting from my car. I found a quiet spot until a truck uh, drew level and they're uh, taking power off the truck, but we'll see how we go. That's the way it is. Enjoy what Anarchy is all about. Anarchy Society is a voluntary, non-hierarchical society based on the creation based on the creation of uh, a voluntary non-hierarchical society, based on creating a society based on equal decision-making power, equal access to wealth. The the word anarchos means without rulers. Uh, The uh, main task of an anarchist is to devolve power, that's share power, and improve the lives of uh, people. That's what anarchy is all about. It's not about chaos. That's what we've got now. If you're wondering um, what we're going to talk about today, well, I'm going to make a few comments about uh, Cardinal Pell's acquittal by the High Court of Australia. We're looking at Veterans Affairs and the way they have been, uh, the way they have been, um, the way they have actually been uh, not looking after veterans over the years. And obviously, we'll talk about COVID-19 and a few other issues. Now, look, I'd like to thank all those people that are ringing up or uh, emailing us for uh, copies of the application form to join public interest before corporate interest. Now at the time to consider joining. You can always go to pipsy.net and download the application form. If you can't download it, you can always ring me on 0439 395 489 and I'll get back to you. Now, Cardinal Pell. Now, look, I wasn't surprised by the High Court acquittal. When you looked at the... Uh, when you looked at the evidence, there was a, a reasonable doubt. Uh, it was, uh, it's, it's very difficult in sexual abuse cases to actually run a case in the courts. It's about hearsay, they say. So I'm not particularly concerned about the acquittal. I mean, it was a unanimous decision by the High Court. It was expected. Most legal figures uh, ex- expected it. I don't see it some type of uh, Catholic uh, conspiracy. But what I am amazed regarding the acquittal is 
how the Roman Catholic Church and other religious institutions in this country have got away almost scot-free with sexually abusing their parishioners and uh, worshippers over decades, especially young children. Now, the whole Australian community, I remember when I was five or six, there was jokes about going round about not being caught with the priest uh, during the Mass after, if you're an altar boy, after you finished the altar boy. So I think for a long time, Australians have known, not just people in authority, but ordinary Australians have known that things were not quite right. And for decades, and this is where Cardinal Pell and previous uh, heads of the uh, Catholic Church and other churches and other religious institutions in this country are responsible, for decades, what they have attempted to do is put under the carpet what has been happening. But worse than that, they've actually enabled uh, pedophiles within their organisations to continue abusing children on a long-term basis. And although Cardinal Pell has been personally acquitted of uh, sex abuse charges by the High Court of Australia, who found that there was a, a case for reasonable doubt, the Catholic Church and other religious institutions have not been acquitted for the, their complicity in actually making the problem worse in the community. Because once they were alerted to the activities of pedophiles within their organisations, not only did they actively cover up what was happening, but they actually moved people to uh, different areas where they continued their activities. And you've got some priests and some people who have actually abused hundreds of children because over time they have been, over time, they have been um, allowed by the authorities in those particular religious institutions to continue practising. So what Cardinal Pell and other leaders of the Catholic Church and other religious institutions who have hidden this problem for so long and have caused so much community harm and damage are guilty of is the fact that they did nothing. They were in leadership positions. They were the ones who were in a position to actually stop what was happening, but they refused to do anything about it. And when you look at the Catholic Church in particular's hardball approach to anybody who made any accusations regarding using every aspect of the law, it is quite, uh, to uh, push them aside, it is quite horrendous the amount of damage they've done. Now, not only have these institutions done huge amount of damage to individuals and families, which have led to suicides, alcoholism, drug addiction, uh, abuse within families, and the list goes on and on and on and on. But they have done this in order to protect the institution, to protect the property of the institution. And irrespective of 
Cardinal Pearl's acquittal or not. The question remains, why haven't, why haven't these institutions been financially found financially responsible for the harm they've done to the community? Because it's the public that's picked up the tab. You and I have picked up the tab for the extensive psychological, physical and social support that has been needed over decades to deal with the churches and, and religious institutions inability and more importantly unwillingness to deal with the cancer in their midst. And Cardinal Pell's acquittal by the High Court means nothing as far as the responsibility of these religious institutions is concerned. And what compounds the problem is that since the High Court decisions in the 1960s that allowed state aid to religious-based uh, schools, that we, the taxpayers, have been supporting these religious institutions. We have been pumping in billions of dollars into organisations which have done everything they can to protect their property and not put the interests of their congregations before the interests of the institutional church. And we pay every day. We continue to pay billions of dollars to private schools which are owned by religious organisations which have been responsible for some of the most horrendous things one human being can do to another human being. So although there's been a, a Royal Commission institutional abuse in, into child institutional child abuse, we have not seen any meaningful attempts to gain compensation. At the very least, we should be suspending payments to all religious-based organisations that have a history of supporting pedophiles within their midst, of doing nothing about it. Why should we continue to bankroll the Catholic Church in this country? Why should we continue to bankroll other institutions that have been found guilty of, of horrendous crimes? It's quite extraordinary. Look, the question isn't Cardinal Pearl's innocence or guilt. The question isn't the High Court's decision. The question is that the community expects retribution. It expects financial compensation. It expects legislation to be put through Parliament which could assist not just the victims, but the community as a whole, to deal with the problem. Why should these religious institutions continue to be bankrolled by the Australian taxpayer? Obviously, there are many good people in the Catholic Church, and there are many good people in most religious organisations, but the leadership of these organisations, and that includes Cardinal Pell, have not only let down the Australian community and let down the victims of the abuse, they have let down their own parishioners. 
those people who've supported the churches and religious institutions over generations who now find themselves in a difficult situation regarding that support. So it's not about Cardinal Pearl's acquittal. It's about the fact that we as a society have not pushed our governments to look at the financial links between the state and the church in this country. There are universities, primary schools, secondary colleges, hospitals, which are owned by religious institutions, which are supported, supported by us. And it's about time that support was withdrawn. It wasn't until the late 1960s that there was aid to church organisations. Listen to the Atticus World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. Another little-known case, there was a coroner's report 24 hours ago that came out, which I think is exceptionally important. And uh, we tended to, uh, because of the COVID-19 blanket uh, coverage, we tended to ignore it. Now, the coroner court, coroner's court found that uh, Mr Jesse Bird, who was a member of the uh, Australian Defence Forces, who took his own life in 2017, had been treated abysmally, abysmally by Veterans Affairs, abysmally. They didn't even follow their own guidelines. And when they rejected his application for a severe post-traumatic stress disorder, it was basically the last straw, and Mr Bird took his own life. And the coroner stated in black and white that there was no empathy or compassion shown. Not only did they didn't follow their own rules, but there was no empathy or compassion. Now, I know it's popular among uh, Vietnam veterans and a lot of other veterans, especially Vietnam veterans, to blame draft resistors and the anti-Vietnam uh, moratorium movement for their uh, for their plight. But to a significant degree, we have got a military going from the Boer War till now, which has used, abused and spat out injured soldiers, Air Force injured Army personnel, Air Force, Navy, Army. A long history. Remember the kerfuffle regarding Ancient Orange and how the government refused to accept responsibility for the birth defects and the psychological issues and depression and the anger and the mania which many Vietnam veterans found themselves in when they came back. And that was directly related to their exposure to Agent Orange, the defoliant, which was actually used to destroy the jungles of Vietnam, which continues to have a profound impact in Vietnam as far as the, as far as the birth of children with major abnormalities, and which had significant impacts in this country, the birth of children of servicemen and women who were exposed to Agent Orange. But I think the coroner's report, which was released yesterday on this one man's suicide, this ex-armed forces veteran suicide, highlights how, for generations, we have not had 
the interests of the men and women who've been involved in the military, who sustain severe physical and psychological issues as because of their involvement in the military and they have not been supported. And to can think they are still not being supported by governments highlights the inadequacy of so many of our institutions. I mean, on the one hand, we hear, you know, people who are in the military, you know, the, you know, the cream of the cream, and we should look after them. And on the other hand, the bureaucratic maze they need to jump through in order to get any compensation or any support is so massive that many people fall between the lines. They fall, they fall through. They fall through the cracks. The cracks are, you know, as huge as a, as a cavern. They're huge, huge. Listen to the Atticus World this week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. My name's Jasper Scar, I'm hosting today's program. A few things. Look, look, obviously, currently, we're not able to uh, participate in public activities uh, because of the COVID-19 crisis, and uh, I support the concept of social distancing. been a doctor for 43 years. It's uh, when you don't actually have a vaccination or any treatment. All you can do is go back to the old 19th century practices of quarantining, social distancing, and the list goes on and on, in order to decrease the um, damage done by uh, a pandemic. And that's what we've seen around the world. That's why it's a pandemic. But we are seeing major issues. And I'm going to tell you a funny story that happened to me yesterday. I mean, you, you know we're all told... This is what I love about listening to the corporate-owned media and the government guild at ABC. We're all told by the government that it's all hunky-dory, that the banks are going to do the right thing, that, uh, you know, everybody's going to get their COVID uh, job seeker allowance. Well, it doesn't start till the 27th of April. It's a long time between drinks. And that everybody's going to get their job uh, keeper allowance. And obviously not everybody's going to get a job keeper allowance. It's a little bit more complex and difficult than that. People realise. I mean, if there's one thing that this highlights, this piecemeal approach to the situation, is the importance, as I've been saying for weeks and years, of a universal basic income. A universal basic income. If you have a universal basic income, you don't need a huge bureaucracy to administer it. You do have a cushion available in times of crisis, whether it's a climate emergency or whether it's a, uh, a pandemic or whether it's war or a natural disaster. You do have a cushion. And as I kept saying on this program, it can be funded quite easily. A 1% stock market turnover levy. A 1% turnover levy on every dollar that's spent. Ka-ching, ka-ching, ka-ching. In a computerised age, it's exceptionally simple to uh, put that money in Treasury. And third but not last, last but not least, is the fact about our mining resources. Mining resources, have been ex which are owned supposedly by the Crown, which is you and me, which are being exploited by our corporations who are making billions of dollars 
billions of dollars, these mining resources, that are, you know, exploiting the situation. Isn't it about time we nationalised mining in this country? Well, if we don't want to go that far, how about sharing profits 50-50? You know, if you want to develop something, 50% of every dollar you make goes actually to Treasury to support a universal basic income. Because if we had a universal basic income, you wouldn't find ourselves in this situation. I still saw people queuing outside Centrelink offices in Melbourne yesterday. As I was, you know, doing my medical practice and seeing patients, I still saw people queuing outside Centrelink offices. And then we've got the banks with their beautiful publicity tell you what nice people they are. Because I received a credit card bill a few days ago and they're still charging 20.2% interest if you don't pay your credit card within you know, the 30 days. Still charging 20.2%. And I was going to tell you a funny story, which I'm going to tell you now, and this is true. I actually thought I was being set up, but it's so funny. Right, going up, doing about my business, ring, 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 ring. Oh, it's an, it's an interesting number, I'll answer it. Hello, hello. I'm from such and such a bank. Oh, yes, hello. You got an account with us? Yes, 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 I've got an account with you. I haven't used it for ages, but, yeah, we've got an account. Oh, and you know you're $6.20 overdrawn? I said, no, really? Still thinking that I've been set up by somebody. And I said, $6.20 overdrawn? And this is after, you know, they identified me and all the usual garbage they do. I said, really? <laughs> and I said... How come I'm $6.30? Oh, because we're charging this account $10 a month. <laughs> account keeping fees. So you're telling me I'm $6.30 overdrawn and you've rung me to tell me I'm $6.30 overdrawn <clears throat> because you've charged me <laughs> a $10 accountancy fee? And I said, yes. And I said, you're kidding. She says, oh, no, 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 no. Look, you can go to, into a branch and you can put in some money and we'd appreciate it. And I'm thinking, here we are in the midst of a COVID-19 crisis and I'm getting a phone call from a bank regarding an account which is $6.30 overdrawn because of a $10 fee which they've applied to that account. <clears throat> so I wish you luck if you got a mortgage. I wish you luck. And I was really interested to look at the so-called arrangements with people who've got commercial leases. And there are many small businesses in this country at the minute which are on their knees. On their knees. There is no way they're going to be able to pay their leases. No way they're going to be able to pay their leases. And the recommendations which have been made by the federal government really does not help them in any way. And what we need to think about currently, when they're calling it for us to be involved in the collective effort, and I like that word, collective effort. I like that word, collective effort. Yeah, I like that word, collective effort. You know, in a situation, they want us to be collective effort. They want us collectively to deal with the problem. Well, I'm very happy to collectively deal with the problem. I'm a great believer in collective action. But it's not going to be business as usual at the end of this COVID-19 crisis. They think it's going to...
they keep telling you it's going to be business as usual. It's not going to be business as usual. Last week, 5 million Australians, 5 million, that's almost 20%, about 16%, accessed food aid from charities in this country. Can you imagine that? 5 million Australians accessed food aid. Could you imagine what's going to happen between now and the end of April? when we've still got queues at Centrelink, when it's still impossible to ring people at Centrelink, when it's almost impossible and it's almost impossible to get onto their website. Could you imagine what's going to happen by the end of April? Because this COVID-19 crisis is going to go on for a number of months. It's not just going to disappear. It's going to go on for a number of months. And if you think this is the difficult time, this is not the difficult time. This is an easy time. You wash your hands. You wear a face mask if you can. You socially isolate yourself. You keep social distancing rules. We can actually deal with the COVID-19. Obviously, there'll be mortality, and obviously there'll be people who get sick. But by using these methods, these old-fashioned methods, 19th century methods, we can contain the damage to the population as a whole. But the dilemma is, what happens at the end of this? What happens? And listening to the government of the day, I'm not filled with any hope. I'm quite concerned. Because they're talking about reintroducing robo-debt. There's 935,000 Australians who supposedly owe robo-debt, you know, debts, which they're thinking of reintroducing. Then they're thinking of introducing austerity economics, which means screwing people on Social Security benefits and screwing the population as a whole. Then you may have noticed inflation's crept in. You know, prices are going up, especially for fresh uh, food. Prices are going up, and prices are going up for many commodities, slowly at first, and now quite rapidly. So we've got inflation. What happens when you've got inflation? Interest rates go up. This is a normal corporate capitalist economy. Interest rates go up. What happens when interest rates go up? People can't pay the large mortgages they have. Think about it. So it's business as usual. It's a road to disaster. We don't want business as usual. What we want is discussion regarding a new economic system, regarding the introduction of a universal basic income. That's what we want. That's what we want. That's the discussion we want. And it's not going to happen without you. It's that simple. It is not going to happen without you. Do you think that if you don't raise these issues on a regular basis, not just the people around you, but with the corporate home media, the government guild at ABC and other institutions in this country, do you really think anything's going to change at the end of this? Things will change for a lot of individuals. There will be many bankruptcies. Unemployment will continue to increase despite social distancing uh, suggestions or recommendations uh, being uh, overturned. There'll be many bankruptcies, many 
difficult time, and we start. We should start thinking and talking and discussing and raising alternatives. Most of our federal politicians and state politicians are at home. That's right. They've closed their offices. They're at home. I'll send them a bloody email. I'll send them a letter. Tell them that you don't want this to happen again, that you want a universal basic income, that it's time that we, as a community, looked at other ways of protecting ourselves from a crisis and emergency. Because if they want collective effort for us to deal with this situation, we want, in return, collective effort, that's right, collective effort from them to look after the interests of each and every one of us. Now, another thing which I find extraordinarily stupid, well, you may think it's all right, but I think it's stupid. Now, we're supposedly got a national crisis, okay? COVID-19 crisis. Much of the economy has closed down. Many people are basically isolated in their own homes, wondering how they're going to pay their bills. We have a crisis, okay? We've got a government and an opposition, and the difference between the government and opposition, I think, is one or two seats in the House of Representatives. And they don't even have a majority in the, in the Senate. And we see Mr Morrison get up every day and, you know, give us his spiel on things and tell us, you know, what his advisors have told him and how we should deal with the problem and what they're going to do and the fact that apart from holding Parliament uh, for one day, they're going to suspend Parliament till August, September. Now, in a time of national crisis, what we need is a government of national unity. You know, it's not just the government that has ideas on how to deal with this crisis and, more importantly, how to deal with the economic consequences at the end of the crisis, but the opposition, the Labor opposition, the Greens, the Independents, they've all got ideas. And I'm not talking about a cabinet that they have now where they've got the state premiers and, you know, their cabinet. I'm not talking about a national cabinet. I'm talking about a government of national unity where the major and minor political parties come together to form a cabinet which can then put forward all their ideas and come up with possible solutions to the problem. Because if there's one thing that this current situation highlights is there are no corporate solutions. There are no neoliberal solutions. Privatisation, corporatisation, globalisation, deregulation has nothing to offer people in times of crisis, if at any time. And the inadequacy we are finding currently in our ability as a nation to deal with this COVID-19 crisis. And it is not, it is not a huge crisis. It's not as huge as a lot of people think it is. There could be, there are some viruses out there that could have a 30 or 40 or 50% mortality rate. Enderovirus in Brisbane had a 90% mortality rate 20 years ago. Ebola had a 40 to 50% mortality rate. Swine through at a 20 to 30% mortality rate. Although COVID-19 
viruses are much more easily transmitted than any of these viruses, the fact is that the mortality rate ranges between 5 to 10, 3 to 10 percent, depending on the type of, as I said last week, the type of social security system you have, the type of health system you have, the type of pharmaceutical benefit scheme you have, and the list goes on and on. And the more of these collectivist ideas that are in place, the more easy it is for a society to cope with this type of issue. And that's the problem. So why shouldn't we have the best brains in the country in a cabinet, an Australian government of national unity with, with some of the best medical advisers in this country? Why should it only be the Morrison-led uh, Liberal National Party that is a one-seat majority in the House of Representatives be the be-all and end-all of, uh, of knowledge regarding how to deal with the COVID-19 crisis? I mean, it doesn't make any sense. It really does not make any sense. It makes no sense whatsoever. None whatsoever. So, now it's very easy... It's very easy in a time like this to be negative. It's exceptionally easy. It's exceptionally easy. And I have been a little bit surprised, a little bit surprised by the extent of negativity in the community. Not just the general community, but in people I have known for uh, many years. Not just in terms of the COVID-19 crisis, but more importantly, in terms of how to deal with the situation. There seems to be an air of defeatism in the community, not just the general community, but the radical community, as if somehow change will never be possible. It's all useless. There's no point. The COVID-19 crisis will come and go and that small section of society that owns the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication will continue to dominate every aspect of our existence, economic, socially, culturally, and the list goes on and on. There just seems to be this general negativity in the community about our ability as human beings to change the course of history to change the way we live. And this is the type of sentiment which plays into their hands, which plays into the hands of that small section of society that owns the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication. This is the type of sentiment they love, a defeatist sentiment. A little bit different to the late 60s and early 70s when we thought we could change the world. We couldn't change it, but at least we gave it a good try. I mean, there's a general sense of what's the purpose. Nothing's going to change. It's going to be all, it's going to be the same over and over again. Those that will will continue to rule and the rest of us will just have to put up with it. Well, the reality is different. Historically, if we had that attitude we'd still be having feudal lords and the state would be the dominant instrument of oppression in the country. I mean, all those revolutions and revolts and parliamentary reforms that occurred in the 19th 
and early 20th century were about forcing the state to take on the responsibility of looking after its citizens, of transforming the state from an instrument of social control to an instrument which, yes, had social control, but secondly, was forced to look after the interests of ordinary people. It's no accident that public housing was created as a result of the actions of returned servicemen and women after World War II who demanded housing. They said, we've made these sacrifices. You called us to make these sacrifices. Well, let's get something back in return. And the same occurred in England and in many parts of Europe. Same thing. We made the sacrifice. We want something in return. And if there was no movement for something in return, nothing would have changed. Gays would still be outlawed. We'd still have slavery as part and parcel of everyday existence in this country. We would continue to finish the job of exterminating Indigenous Australians in this country. I mean, there are many things which are wrong currently. Those wrongs are righted through the actions of people like you and me. I mean, I know, not believe, I don't believe. I'm an atheist, I don't believe. I know, if you look at the historical record, it's the actions of, you know, people who've put their body on the line, who've taken the risk, that have changed the course of history. It's their actions which change the course of history. It's their actions which ensure that we've got a universal health insurance system, Medicare. It's their actions which ensure that we did have a public housing sector. It is their actions which ensure that we have a social security net, irrespective of the holes that have been created in the last 40 years. It was their actions which ensure we had a public health system. The people didn't die because they didn't have actual access to health care. It was their actions which saw, saw the legalisation of uh, same-sex marriage. It was their actions which have seen so many changes that have occurred in society. Now, many of these may be issue-orientated, but as a community and as a people, we actually have the capacity to make major changes. I could broadcast for another 40 years and I'd be 120 or something. I could broadcast for another 40 years and nothing will change without people beginning to open up the debate and making demands for change. And to think that you can never change anything and to think that there's no point because it's always going to be the same way is a type of negativity which reinforces the power of those who currently exercise power in our society. It's that negativity which allows them to continue on their merry way and which will allow them, and I'm confident of this, to continue down the corporatisation, globalisation, privatisation, deregulation pathway after the COVID-19 crisis. Because although this little virus has put a stake through the heart of the neoliberal vampire, it's not dead yet.
hasn't been cremated. And it's quite likely without your actions and the actions of your friends and families and the community that it will rise phoenix-like from the ashes and dominate every aspect of our existence in 12 months' time once again. And those people that have lost their jobs and those people that have lost their businesses and those people that have lost their homes and those people that have lost their sanity will just be brushed aside as collateral damage. And that's what the anarchist will this week is about. It's not about criticising things. I mean, I do enough criticism as it is. I mean, we spoke about the Catholic Church and other religious institutions. We've spoken about other things, you know, certain things you need to look at. But you need to find solutions all the time. You need to look for solutions. You need to look for solutions. You need to encourage people to take action and promote solutions. So I see, and again, this is just an opinion, one personal opinion, but I see the most important topic for discussion and agitation, and the key word is agitation, is the introduction of a universal basic income to cushion us from future disasters. With an increasing population, we're over 7.5 billion, with limited resources, there ain't no planet two, you know, there's no planet B out there that I know of, right? And uh, Mars won't look after many of you. I think it's time that we have to put forward these ideas. And a universal basic income provides that cushion for people, provides that cushion for society to deal with disasters, whether it's a pandemic, and there will be more pandemics, and they may be more fierce than the pandemic we currently have, because obviously we don't have the medical and technological solutions to the pandemic, and we've got to look at social and cultural uh, ways of uh, inhibiting the spread of COVID-19 and other viruses in future pandemics, whether it's the climate emergency, which has not gone away. I mean, those of you who've taken interest in the Great Barrier Reef would have been shocked by the amount of bleaching that's occurred over the last two or three months. Huge amount of bleaching. 40 to 60% of the reef is now dead and most likely won't recover because of the climate emergency. I mean, CO2 emissions may have temporarily decreased because of decreased production, but they will shoot up again, and you'll see the coal industry jumping up and down. See, what a universal basic income does is it ensures we can do a number of things. One, we can get rid of a centralised bureaucracy like Centrelink. If everybody gets the same payment initially, you don't need Centrelink. You don't need the checks and balances. You don't need robo-debt. You get a living wage. Then on top of that living wage, you may decide to live on that living wage because of increased mechanisation with the IT and uh, revolution and uh, with artificial intelligence. We're not going to need everybody to work to keep society functioning, to keep it productive. So we need a way of actually ensuring that people can exist in a comfortable situation. There are many ways you can actually finance a universal basic income. It takes a bit of imagination, but I'd put up a few propositions. I mean, there are many other propositions which obviously can be used in, in this particular situation. I mean, that's, that's, that's the way life goes, many propositions. So 
how do you get rid of bureaucracy and provide protection in times of emergencies, whether it's a climate emergency, a pandemic, an earthquake, a war, and the list goes on and on. But at the same time, what a universal basic income is, it gives people an out from actually supporting industries which are currently causing a great deal of damage. Because a lot of people, you know, working in these industries would like to get out of these industries, but know that if they lose their jobs in the current capitalist system where there is no real social support, they're on skid row. They're going to lose everything they ever had. And so they will continue to fight tooth and nail, as we saw in Queensland during the last election, to ensure that these enterprises continue to function. So a universal basic income does have a lot of going for it. As I said, the way you can finance it is the various ways, but three ways that I think are useful is a 1% stock market turnover levy. Every time you buy or sell a stock or a share, 1% goes straight into the Treasury. It's computerised, easy to do. 1% levy on every transaction that occurs in the country. You can raise billions of dollars doing that. And third, but not least, you could actually look at the mineral resources. Minerals belong to the people as a whole. Resources belong to the people as a whole. We have given them away to the private sector. We continue to make massive profits and pay minimal taxation. Minimal taxation. At least they should be. We should be asking for, demanding, legislate fifty percent of all profits to go back into treasury. So it can be done. It can be done, but it does take one political will, and the only way you get political will is through people agitating. Now, the election of a the Whitlam-led Labor government in 1972 didn't come out of nowhere. It came out of continued agitation for change, not just in terms of the Vietnam War, but in terms of social change, cultural change, economic change. And it's no accident that in four years, the Whitlam Little Labor government introduced more positive reforms in this country than since Federation. Since Federation. And it's no accident that many of these reforms have been white-handed by successive governments, including Labor governments, since the uh, Whitlam Labor government was dismissed by the Governor-General in '75. Things like legal aid, which was begun then. Things like social security benefits for single parents. And the list goes on and on. So the key to all this is not to be negative. Obviously, you can be negative about your own personal situation. You may not have much to be happy about, stuck at home. But, but, generally, this is a time of profound opportunity. If you look historically at pandemics and what has happened in societies as a result of pandemics, it is a time of profound opportunity. It's a time of profound changes. Without the Black Plague ravaging Europe in the 14th century, we wouldn't have trade unions. We wouldn't have this push for reform. We wouldn't have had the destruction of the feudal system. It was a direct consequence of the Black Plague, the change occurred. Now, I'm not saying COVID-19 has got a mortality rate of 60% like the Black Plague, but it does have a profound impact on the economy. 
And there are different ways that we can actually approach this the situation of the economy. Because in Australia, we have a private economy, we have private capitalism, rampant private capitalism. And capitalism is a very simple concept. It's about private investment for private gain. And what we've seen over the last 40 years is the private sector getting back into the business of providing essential services for the community. Now, after the Second World War, legislation was introduced which allowed the public sector to expand. And when you've got a strong public sector and a strong private sector in a capitalist economy, they balance each other out. But over the last 40 years during the deregulation, privatisation, globalisation, corporatisation phase, we have been through as a nation and as a planet, we have found that the public sector has shrunk to almost nothing. That's why the government, federally and state-based, cannot provide an adequate response to this disaster. They don't have the staff. They've outsourced so many of their functions to private corporations. And when you outsource a function to a private corporation, 40% of every dollar which a taxpayer gives to that private corporation to run that activity, whether it's nursing homes, whether it's childcare, whether it's uh, the Job Seeker Network, and the list goes on and on, whether it's NDIS, 40 cent goes into the pockets, goes into the pockets of that private, and 60 cents is then used to provide that service. So think about it. Huge changes need to be made, and a universal basic income can provide that cushion. And if you're wondering, why should we give a universal basic income to rich people? Well, you do initially, and then you claim it back during the tax. Very simple. People who decide they want to earn more have to give back that universal basic income in their taxation when they're assessed by the tax office. As you know, the tax office is a particularly powerful organisation. Now, a lot of people currently are concerned about the nature of the legislation which has been passed through Parliament at the state and federal level, which gives police extraordinary powers. And obviously, people need to be concerned about these powers because they remember 9-11 and what happened after 9-11 and the fact that these powers are still in place. It is an issue, but to me it's not the central issue. The central issue is what are we going to do? Is it business as usual? Do we allow the neoliberal vampire to rise from the ashes like a phoenix? Or do we finally cremate it and create a new world, that world in our hearts, a world based on cooperation. And we've seen that if you want to tackle the COVID-19 virus, you need cooperation, you need collective effort, you need both. You need to remove the division between private and public. You need to bring the private sector back into the public sector to provide the services that are necessary. No wonder the United States is having so much trouble and England and France and Italy and Spain having so much trouble in dealing with COVID-19 virus because of the type of um, One Health system they have, 
which does not provide universal health care to a lot of people. Just does not provide it. So these are things we've got to look at. So what am I, what am I proposing? Look, I can sit here and talk till I'm blue in the face, OK? I'm sitting in the car, it's getting hot. I'm uh, looking around, you know, looking around, thinking about uh, the patient thing I'm going to see after I finish this broadcast. Um, you know, uh, I couldn't broadcast without the wonderful people at uh, Community Radio 3CR who are doing all the necessary technical bits and pieces to keep the anarchist world on air. And I couldn't do this without the Community Radio Network, all those wonderful people who uh, broadcast the anarchist world this week across Australia by the Community Radio Network. Obviously, I'm just a cog in a giant community radio machine which is trying to provide up-to-date analysis. But more importantly more than analysis, to actually provide hope for people. You know, hope, the love child of desire and expectation. Thank you for listening to the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station. This program has been streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. If you want to join public interest before corporate interests, now, right now, and I suggest you do if you're not a member, because this will be, this will be the core, the core of the organisation which will be involved in the campaign for a universal basic income and for the creation of collectives and cooperatives, the third tier of our economic system. So pipsy.net, pipsy.net, download the application form. Can't download it, don't despair. You can ring me on 0439 395. 489 I'll get back to you within 24 hours, send you out some application forms. As soon as these COVID-19 uh, social distancing laws are out the door and we've dealt with the virus, we will then deal with the government of the day and the corporate world because people power, it's us, it's people like you and me which are going to make the difference which are going to ensure that it's not business as usual. That website, pipsy.net, my Facebook page, Joseph Toscana, YouTube presentations, public interest before corporate interest. And you can always write to Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. Thank you once again for listening to the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station, courtesy of the Community Radio Network. This program has been broadcast through the studios of 3CR in Melbourne. The program is podcast. It should be up in the next 24 hours, 3cr.org.au. Listen in to the Anarchist World this week, next week on your local community radio station. Thank you once again for listening to us today and hopefully evil minds that plot destruction sorcerer of death's construction an analysis you'll never hear anywhere else anarchist world this week australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse 10am every wednesday Listen to the Anarchist World this week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Poisoning their brainwashed minds. Oh, larger!
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.